All right. We are locked and loaded. We are back, episode 31. And I tracked down the CEO founder of Invictus Fitness, CJ Martin. CJ, I know you have a busy schedule. I know we are also meeting on election day. <laughs> Everything came together perfectly. And I want to start by saying thank you for making the time to come down. Yeah, thank you. I'm stoked to be here. Rad. We, uh, I always get even more excited, like any business owner that comes on, pumped. But I'm excited when it's in the fitness industry. I yeah. told you you had some key players come on here before who own different various types of fitness businesses. So I'm going to ask a lot of personally selfish questions. I'm just curious of what you're up to, how you got to where you are. But in true in the weeds fashion, I always want to start with chapter one, the starting line. You know, I don't know. This is our first time meeting in person. Yeah. Um, you know, where you all got started, where you grew up. Take us back to chapter one. Oh, man. Taking it way back. Um, so I grew up uh, between Bay Area, San Jose, Cupertino, cool. California, and, uh, and Eugene, Oregon. Mm. Um, and uh, always sports obsessed mm -hmm. as a kid. Um, I'm five foot seven, a buck 60. Uh, wasn't gifted necessarily with sure. the athletic ability to, you know, take that to a professional level, um, but it never deterred me. So mm -hmm. I was always uh, just super in it. So um, what was your sport of choice growing up? Uh, baseball. Okay. So ended up had the chance to play baseball in college, but um, more so even than baseball was fighting, taekwondo and boxing. Mm, cool. um, so fought internationally in taekwondo, and you know did did the whole circuit and and uh, won some medals as a junior athlete, and then really? went to college and played baseball. Yeah. You still uh, do taekwondo or boxing? I do not. Really? Uh, no, I I would love to, and I've got a five and seven year old. Oh. And uh, so I'm trying to get, in fact, we were going to get my five-year-old into Taekwondo. COVID kind of delayed sure, some yeah. of that. Um, but yeah, so I'd like to actually start doing it with them again. Mm -hmm. um, I do think even with baseball, like when I was done playing college baseball, like I was done. Like beer league softball was not going to be a mm -hmm. thing for me. For um, sure. And I kind of felt that way a little bit with uh, with both boxing and Taekwondo where it was like, uh, it's hard for me to do recreationally because oh. I'm still carrying like the ego of like, no, this has to be perfect and I'm doing this for a purpose. And mm -hmm. um, so it's, uh, but now I think if I do it with my kids, I would enjoy it. No, definitely. So uh, a question I always ask about childhood, your childhood, yeah. to anybody who's got an entrepreneur career like yourself is, did you grow up around parents or family members that were entrepreneurial or what was, what did you kind of, yeah. what did you live within when you were? Oh young? man, I love that question. Um, I grew up with parents that were hungry mm. um, and the hunger came from a really different spot. And it's something my wife and I talk about because we've been very blessed in our lives and business and um, but for me, I was, we had six people in 900 square foot house. Um, oh, I was shit. the first person in my family to ever go to college. Um, but my mom was extremely bright in high school, um, had offers to go. I think she would have been the first class to be able fem of females to go to the Naval Academy and things like that. But uh, she got pregnant at 17. Um, oh. and, uh, and to, uh, to a gentleman that wasn't interested in having a child at 17. So she became a single mom at 17, um, and immediately went to work to provide. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, never had the opportunity to go to college, but has always been just a whirlwind, like one of the most energetic mm -hmm. people you've ever met. Um, and she met my dad when I was two, they got married. Um, and they're both just super hard workers. He went military, it was Vietnam era. So he went, you know, high school into, sure. uh, into the military and then came out and started working to provide. And so, um, so I had two very hungry parents that were really smart and didn't mind working a 12, 14 hour day. Mm -hmm. Um, but I didn't, I wasn't surrounded by anybody didn't know anybody that owned businesses or yeah, yeah. or really worked in any you know it's funny I ended up going to law school I didn't know any lawyers <laughs> growing up I had no idea so it was uh so what I would say like my childhood taught me that if you want something you bust your ass and you go get it that was the first thing I was to say is you must have been surrounded by the highest work ethic between yeah military yeah. dad and a mom who had to grow up almost overnight at 17, you must have been surrounded by 
uh, a level of work ethic most people don't see. Yeah, work ethic and also resilience. Like mm -hmm. uh, my parents, right? So we, so it was myself, uh, my dad, uh, my dad had a son in a previous relationship. And uh, so my brother, and then my uncle was killed in a workplace accident. And mm -hmm. so my two cousins came to live with us. I mean, we didn't have much, right? But that never stopped my parents from opening the doors and saying like, well, we'll, we'll take care of whoever needs it. Mm -hmm. um, and so when they came to live with us, right, there were times where my parents, you know, qualified for any manner of food stamp welfare, right? But they were way too proud. They never, never mm -hmm. took any of that. Um, but their resilience was, they never complained. We did, you know, we had to remodel our house. Like we lived in, a one bed, one bathroom, two bedroom house with six people, and like Holy we shit. posted up some walls and we hung some curtains and like, but nobody like, like growing up, I would tell you I had an idyllic childhood. Yeah. Right? If you look from the outside, you might say, oh, that could, I'm like, no, no, like we had a freaking blast every day and yeah. like never felt like we weren't loved, never felt like we didn't have anything, right? It was. Totally, yeah. It's like only now where you look back and like wow, we, we can give our kids a lot more than I had. Mm -hmm. um, and I say, my wife and I talk about that because that's almost scary to us because we're like, man, I don't want them to feel like entitled to anything, right? For like sure. we, like I embrace that, that upbringing of like, I, I saw people work their butts off. I saw great people, some made it, some didn't, but like the attitudes that were learned, you know, were, mm -hmm. were amazing. Isn't that crazy though? You know, because there's there's two way people can can skin that. Looking back, is you know we were poor, we didn't have enough, we like we were in survival mode, and, and almost have like a, a negative tone to it. Or the way you described it is like first you probably didn't know otherwise. That's no. just what that's what you knew, and and it sounded like your parents packaged it in in a very positive way day to day. That your takeaway was was positive right. now. You know, yeah. and, and it's funny because we've, we've had people on here who, who have had similar stories who grew up, one was in a trailer park, one had several, several siblings, and it's really interesting hearing like the psychology that comes out of it. Fortunately, they're sitting here because they're extremely successful and they look back on it like, dude, those are my building blocks. That's what yeah, built me now. Sure. And, and I'm sure like, what I was gonna ask is, was that resiliency passed down? Like, was it passed down into your, your DNA from watching them and handed down to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think, um, you know, it was such a, a part of our life was just always, one, always hard work. Like, mm -hmm. and my mom uh, would come home and, you know, she'd bring a bunch of envelopes home. This back in the day where you had to actually put stamps on things and For lick sure. envelopes. And, yeah, yeah. You know, and like, but, you know, she'd come home from work. She'd bring work home and we'd help her, you know, whatever, whatever needed to get done. Oh, yeah. Right. Like, um, we always had a very active role in like doing whatever the family needed. Mm. Um, and then what also came with that was there was always an active role of like helping others. Right. Even though we didn't have a ton, uh, that was always huge, whether it was opening our door to my cousins. Um, we had, I bet over the course of growing up, we had, at least a dozen different people live with us at different times that just wow. needed help, right? Sure, and, yeah. um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, it was always giving back. My mom, my mom also, her birthday is April 1st. And so um, for every Easter, which is close, mm -hmm. we would like, we would do uh, events at Catholic Charities to actually like put on an Easter egg hunt for the kids. And that's what she wanted for her birthday. Oh, that's really so cool. um, I would definitely say that both hard work, resilience and, and service were like, you weren't going to get out of that growing up. Like those were, those were three things that were going to be instilled no matter what. Definitely. So what was it that, because I, I did a little digging into your background and history yeah. and you already said you, you went to law school. Yeah. What was it that uh, young, where did, where did that kind of pop up on your radar? Uh, law school never popped up on my radar. Okay, perfect. Young, yeah, no, it was, uh, yeah, no, it was crazy. So actually, uh, like you, when you ask, like you go back to the beginning, right? In seventh grade, um, they had one of these assignments that was like, oh, you know, tell us what you want to do when you grow up and like write this whole thing out. And so mine was um, that I was going to open a Taekwondo studio. Um, really a massive cool school with, and then like we would have van service to pick kids up from school 
teach them, both tutor them and teach them Taekwondo. You wrote this when? How young? Seventh grade. Wow. That's cool. I was like super into it. And, uh, and so that got stowed away, right? My parents did like, they kept a bunch of stuff from my childhood. And so occasionally like they'll run across a box in the garage and, you know, they'll, they'll see these things. And they found that shortly after I had opened Invictus and we're kind of like looking back like, wow, super tortured route but ended up essentially with a training studio where yeah. we get to help people, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. just the medium differed. But yeah, but getting there, right, it ended up, that was really what I was obsessed with. I ended up in law school because I wanted a challenge, just mm. a different challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, because growing up, I'd never, I, I, was, I was blessed to test really well in school. Mm. Um, which in my mind meant I didn't need to work hard <laughs> because I would always yeah, do yeah, just yeah. fine. Yeah, and, that uh, is a blessing. <laughs> yeah, and so I kind of just got by on that, never really studied, did homework, like stuff that you should have done, um, was always super focused on whatever sports I was playing, you know, baseball, everything, and Taekwondo. Like, so mm-hmm. every season I was playing a sport plus going to Taekwondo after. Um, and. So that was my obsession. Like I, I didn't pay any attention to school. And then I got out of college. I went to work for a congressman and I'm looking around at all these people that are really bright. And I'm like, oh, that would have been cool. I wonder what would have happened if I had applied mm-hmm. myself <laughs> to mm-hmm. school. Um, and, uh, and so that was, the, that was the goal. I was like, hey, I wanna do the hardest schooling I can. Well, I didn't take any science courses in college so med school was out yep. and I'm like law school looks interesting <laughs> right so that's really um, funny I applied to law school with zero intent on becoming a lawyer because I had I didn't know didn't know what lawyers did and that's so crazy. uh yeah it was it was kind of a crazy path was there any was there ever any pressure coming from your dad military to go that route no not at all mm. um and even my dad's military service was really changed by his father's. Um, my grandfather passed away when I was in law school, um, but he was a World War II Fourth uh, Infantry Division Marine mm. in the South Pacific, and so that, they had, I think, uh, highest attrition rate of any unit in U.S. military history. And so um, he actually even pulled my dad. I mean, he was a very proud Marine, um, like uh, would share his stories with me. But when my dad turned of age and Vietnam was going on, he grabbed my dad and said, you're going to walk down and enlist in the Air Force. Like you're not going to do what I had to do. So, mm. um, so I think there's a part of it. My brother did go into the military. Um, he, he went into the Air Force. But um, for me, I think they said, like, hey, you're pretty good at school and <laughs> you should probably yeah, yeah. follow a different route. No, totally. And I, and I think uh, going the law school route, almost anywhere, even if you don't practice law, and especially sitting where you are now, and I'm curious to know if, I'm, if there's any truth behind this, you're going to find use in that degree. You're going to find use yeah. in the time that you serve in there, especially, you know, like, I mean, how many businesses pay crazy amounts of dollars to, to lawyers just to protect themselves and make sure that they're steering the ship the right way. So, but I do know, again, because I did a little background searching, you went in and you ended up being, you ended up practicing yeah. law, right? Yeah. And yeah. It, was, it was on kind of a big scale. Yeah, it was. No, I, I, uh, I went to law school, again, no idea what to expect. First week in class, convinced myself I was the dumbest kid in the room because everybody would like, they'd raise their hands, they'd ask questions, they'd like answer all these questions. I'm just sitting there like, what? Yeah. I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. <laughs> and um, and then it turned out like I ended up grading into the highest, you know, uh, into the, the highest section of, of the class and mm-hmm. getting a scholarship. And I'm like, oh, that, that was cool, that worked out. Well, when you do that in your first year of law school, then you get all the interviews with these plush firms. I'm like, well, shoot, I might as well take yeah. these interviews, right? Yeah. And to be honest, they were paying, you know, my first year income would be higher than what my parents, I think, combined had ever made. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I could do that for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, know, yeah for sure. I need to. And so, um, so that, <laughs> that was essentially like, I was like, well, I'll give this thing a shot. Um, and I found a practice area um, 
that I felt like wouldn't affect people. That was really my goal. Yeah, it was yeah. like, oh, I don't want to be a criminal attorney. Like either side, you're gonna you're gonna mess with somebody's livelihood sure. or something. I'm like, I definitely don't want to be a family attorney and like try to split kids between parents. Yep. I'm like, what can we do that is like sport where it's intellectual, right? Back and forth, securities fraud litigation. I'm like, this is brilliant. Yep. I'm like, both sets of attorneys get paid really well. Mm -hmm. And like the consumer gets like a coupon for 46 cents off their next movie rental. Yeah. And uh, an insurance just pays everything out. I'm like, this is brilliant. I definitely want to do that this. Space, I just feel like it's monopoly <laughs> money out there. Like there's, oh, totally. there's so much floating around that so many people probably don't yeah. know about. Now yeah. you probably have a better understanding right. of. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, so I, um, yeah, I had a, I had a professor um, in law school that was in securities fraud litigation. And I was like, man, there, I remember there was an article at the time I was in law school and it was called The Sport of Kings. And it was about securities fraud suits and how plaintiff side, right, strike suit on any sort of stock drop and, mm -hmm. and, uh, any, and sales and stuff. And then they go after they do discovery, they figure out if there's anything there or not. Meanwhile, always trying to get a settlement. Um, and I'm like, yeah, the plaintiff side sounds really dirty. And then I'm like, uh, <laughs> the defense side sounds super dirty. I'm like, this is great. Like, I'll just be here and, uh, and it'll be, uh, uh, you know, kind of a cool intellectual experience to, uh, to battle these out. And so, um, so that's what ended up happening. I ended up taking a job really focused on securities fraud litigation to to try to make that my practice area, mm. um, which uh, which was interesting because in San Diego, it wasn't on the defense side. I worked for a large international firm and so we were defending Fortune 500 companies, um, but San Diego didn't have a large practice area in mm. that. Um, and so, but I was determined that that's what I wanted to do. And so I would, uh, every week I would do case summaries of all the case law that came out. And I would send it to the whole securities fraud lit um, group in the firm and after like a year or so I remember somebody called and they're like hey we've got this case can you take it um, I'm like yeah great and uh, I was a second year attorney and at some point I was supposed to go up to Orange County for a hearing and he's like okay you've got the hearing and I'm like yeah great awesome and he calls I think it was like three days before and uh, uh, he never there was no pleasantries Right. Like mm -hmm. I actually really like this partner, but like his stylistically, like you would pick up the phone and it'd be like paragraph six of you know, you're like, well, hello. Yes. Thank you for calling. You know? And uh, hey, he he calls one day, like three days before this hearing. I pick up the phone. And he's I'm like, hello. He's like, what year are you? I'm like, what? I'm like, how long have you been at the firm? I'm like, I'm a second year. He's like, oh, God. All right, I'll meet you in the front of the courthouse. <laughs> like, so he had to fly down from San Francisco. But like, they thought I was a fifth or sixth year attorney just because like mm -hmm. I had so consistently sent all these case summaries. They're like, oh, this guy must have his practice down there. I'm like, nah, I was just trying to get my foot in the door that somewhere. Wild, so yeah, it ended up working out. Well, so you hear people talk about their like aha moment. Yeah. Did you have one of those, like an aha moment, meaning like, uh, this is this is not for me long term, yeah. or was it just something that ha the, the segue happened naturally? Man, I had a couple of aha moments, but um, but yeah, I absolutely do have one. So one, there's just a life circumstance of like um, I had I had been married very sh a short period of time, and so like I knew when I got divorced, I was like, all right, I don't have to be a lawyer. Like mm. there was a part of me that was like. I need to do this because this is what adults do. They get sure. regular jobs and they make steady incomes and they do this stuff, right? Uh, but in terms of that aha moment where it was like, yeah, it's time to go, is that um, I sent an email. It was after two in the morning and I was still in my office downtown and um, I sent the email. I'm not afraid of hard work. I For believe sure. you have to put in your time to climb the ladder, but I did not expect to get an email instantly back from like a 67 year old partner from San Francisco. And I'm like, 
if my man at 67 making millions of dollars at this law firm is responding to my emails at two in the morning, wow. like I'm not really sure that the ladder I'm climbing <laughs> is going to get me to where I yeah, want to be. Yeah. Right. I was like, that doesn't sound like the kind of life that I'd like to live. And that was, that was your aha. I mean, that that, was, that's that a was, surreal moment. Yeah. You're, that was kind of the right. like, Oh wow. This doesn't really get better. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I'm sure it, it consumes, your life, like your, your yeah. livelihood, especially at that, at that level that you were at, which sounds like you got to a pretty high level there. And it's funny because I've had a, a person on here who's criminal defense attorney. And I've talked about this balance because he is dealing with people and he's defending people who, if he doesn't defend them to his best ability, it'll impact, like you said, you're impacting the future of their life, their family and kids and all that. Because I asked him, like, do you carry the weight of that with you home, you know, like right. during their case afterwards if it didn't get exactly what you want and he's had to spend he's, he's been doing it for over 10 plus years but he said yeah it's, it, it took me years just to find that balance where like how do you not go home and, and not think about it but how do you yeah. also not wind up 67 years old and glued to right. being, like that when I when we're that I'm sure you're the same way yeah. at that age man I hope I don't even have email on my phone I right. hope I don't have a laptop <laughs> in my house I hope you have to fly in doves to get a, a message right. to me wherever I'm at right. but that's a really that's a really interesting story of the transition yeah. so were yeah. you were you in law school or or when you were at the firm were you going to CrossFit were you did you start off like as just a member and just enjoying it as a customer or what attracted you to, you said yeah. you're always an athlete, so. Yeah, yeah, no, I had a I had a crazy kind of transition from, so I was always a competitive athlete. Mm -hmm. And uh, if I'm being honest, like all training that I ever did was to compete better. Mm -hmm. And when I joined the law firm, I was no longer going to be competing in mm. any physical sport, right? Mm -hmm. And I felt totally lost. And so like I was going to 24 hour fitness on lunch and I was like, I'd run because I knew how to do that. And then I'd like stand on the BOSU ball and do bicep curls because people were doing that at the time. And I, I was like, <laughs> and I was bored to tears. I was like, For why sure. the hell am I doing this, right? And it was totally impersonal. Right. Mm -hmm. Everybody puts their headphones in. You try your best to avoid eye contact with everybody so that they don't try to talk to you or use your machine or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was like, this is not fun. Right. And so I actually ended up feeling really sedentary. The only thing I would do is go run. Right. Which I like I would run for boxing, but I never enjoyed running like you just mm -hmm. did that because you're yeah, supposed to, to stay in shape. Yeah. And so then I would run and like I ran some marathons, but just for fun, but like never did more than 10 miles in training. I would just like, let's see if I can make it 26. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and so, um, I was honestly just in this crazy fitness rut, like no interest in working out, like didn't, you know, the aesthetics of it weren't ever a driving factor for me. Nope. Um, so I needed something. And at, at one point, one of my colleagues, I had driven by this crappy looking warehouse in East village. Um, and one of my colleagues showed me this video. He's like, hey, have you seen this CrossFit thing? And I looked at the video, I'm like, man, that looks like the same kind of warehouse as this place that I drove by the other day. And uh, so like that day, I'm like, I'm gonna swing by, and this is 2006. So I swing by what was then CrossFit San Diego. Oh yeah. And, um, and uh, so I, I'm like, go in there, the ceiling's falling down. They don't even have a restroom in the facility. There's like mold on the mats mm -hmm. and it's a bunch of like Navy team dudes and some police officers. And I'm like, all right, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I was looking for. Um, and so it was about as Spartan as, uh, as you could have imagined, but that spoke to me then I, I needed something. I felt like my life was so soft. Mm -hmm. um, I needed something that was challenging and in a group environment. Right? What, what year was that? 2006. When, when did CrossFit really get on, I guess, the fitness community's radar? When, was it, when did it become a, a thing? Uh, yeah, I mean. Because now I it's think, a massive. Yeah, it just, it just depends on when, like, what constitutes getting on radar. I mm -hmm. would say, like, 
2011 was probably the start of the increase mm. in in terms of visibility where it was like becoming a little more mainstream i mean i would say 2007 8 is when you started to see the subculture totally coming yeah. in right but like i said it was a lot of like military law enforcement um there weren't a ton of you know lawyers that were looking for CrossFit gyms at the time. Yeah, it's, it's interesting too that you pointed out because I told you before we turned the cameras on that I'm a fitness whore. Um, and it's, it's a lot for variety, just variety in, t in the type of workouts. Um, but it's also too, and you said something interesting about going to 24 hour fitness, cause I used to be the big box gym guy, just go in, I got my bench press, I got the curl. Yeah. It was really impersonal. In, in yeah. um, and then I went to a boutique, it was actually an F45 studio years ago, the first one in San Diego. And it was way more community-based. You know, it was all, they're all class-based too. Um, and the takeaway, I was in love. But I think I was just in love with the concept, not, not necessarily like that specific brand. Sure. Do you feel like that's become almost a requirement for, because I said it back then, I'm like, dude, I think this is where the fitness industry is going, is way more the, about the culture, the connection, and also too, I, I think the, the humongous floor plans and all that is probably on its way out as well. Uh, meaning like the 24, sure. the LA yeah. fitnesses. Do you think that that's equally or more of a deal breaker for any gym goer now um, than the actual facility or workout itself? Yeah, I think you have to be, you have to be investing in something more than uh, equipment rental, right? Mm. Like if you look at the traditional big box 24, all you're paying for is the ability to use their equipment. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I think within the space of the boutiques that have really come along is you see slightly different things. One group uh, environment is big, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I think there's a failing in that sometimes if that's all you can offer, right? Totally. So it's from day one, we've always offered you know, personalized program design, one-on-one -on -one training, semi-privates and group because mm -hmm. If somebody comes in and says, hey, I just busted up my back, we're not going to be like, sweet, dude, we're doing deadlifts today. <laughs> you know, like yeah, sure. we have to have options for everybody to be able to do stuff. But I do think that if you have a gym where you're only the only thing you're offering is access to equipment, I think you're going to have a rough go of it. Right. Because mm -hmm. I do think that the that the field has shifted and people are looking for more than just to sweat mm -hmm. and they can do that at home. And mm -hmm. so if they're going to uh, join a gym, I think they want connection, mm -hmm. they want culture, they want coaching, right? At some level, they want to know that they are more than just the fee that they bring into the gym. Totally. And, and you think like where we spend our time, obviously we give away most people seven, eight hours a day at work. So that becomes part of your socializing, your connection, your family, some people call. And if you go to the gym regularly, you're giving away like hour a day, four or five times a week is that becomes part of your your tribe, your right. people, your connection. And, it, and it's funny because I told one of the uh, boutique studio owners, I said, to give you a little comparison on mine as a customer, because I go, I've, gone, I've went to this big box gym for years in San Diego. I said, I couldn't tell you the first name of one of their employees, like right. the trainers, sales rep, but I go to your, I've been at your studio since it opened for, at that point it was like four or five months. I know them all. Right. I'm like, I have right. his phone number. You've done an outing here. And it is kind of cool too. Like a lot of their, they were group based, but I come in and also is a little level, level of accountability. Like yeah. if I wasn't in for a few days, be like, Pete, where the hell were you at, man? Right, and right. also too, they're, they're pushing you throughout it. And then you, you, you form friendships outside of there, but I would go to the same big box gym. I didn't know a member and I didn't know an employee. Yeah. And I said, it's a lot more work. I'm sure from the gym owner standpoint to create those connections it's you know having your finger on the the culture your staff not having any bad seeds because that's contagious but i i just from my you know from my chair in as a customer I'm like yeah. man it's becoming more of a requirement and you're seeing a lot more gyms and, and other businesses that they're doubling down on that yeah. they're like investing in the relationships their staff connection with people yeah. um and i i don't want to to skip over because you said you're missing that competitive aspect I didn't know whether, did, does that mean you actually competed? So you 
you competed in CrossFit? I did. Or you got, I did. Okay, I didn't know I that. Could, I competed very poorly. Okay, um, I didn't know that. But I did. Uh, so I competed at the very first CrossFit Games um, in 2007. And and then uh, I gathered a whole group of people to go in 2008. And I competed there uh, most of the events. And then I realized very quickly that I was much more drawn to coaching than mm. competing because one event in particular, like I'm standing right in front of one of my athletes that's, you know, doing the workout um, and I'm cheering her on. I'm, you know, giving her coaching advice and I keep hearing this like loudspeaker. I'm like, that's saying my name. That is definitely saying my name. And I wait and like the minute she finishes, I turn, I run and they're like, CJ Martin, last call. I like jump over at the time. It was just like a caution tape, right? Yeah. I'm like, I'm here. And they're like, okay, three, two, one, go. Right? And the event starts. I had zero warm up, like yeah, did yeah. nothing. I like grabbed the barbell. I'm like, okay, we're going. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, which is not the best way to compete, by the yeah. way. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and so anyway, I, I learned quickly from that. I was like, yeah, maybe I just focus on the coaching um, because also people were way better athletically than I was at that sport. So is that how you got uh, ingrained in the, in the community is by coaching people to compete? Uh, coaching, no, actually my first, my first client, Larry, the legend, who's still with us 14 years later, uh, still working out with us all the time, um, oh, was, I think he was 74 when he started with me. What? Um, he was not competing, but, um, but yeah, we wow. were working on getting him stronger and more mobile. Um, and he, he proudly said, you will never make a 74 year old more you know, flexible. And we, we sure did. And he's like more flexible now, 14 years later than he was then. And, uh, and so it, you know, CrossFit wasn't a sport when I started, mm -hmm. there was no mm -hmm. sport. There was no games. There was a, the 2007 games, which, you know, was about a year after I started or something like that. It was, you know, it was for fun. Anybody mm -hmm. could go. Right. And uh, so, which is how I got there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. It's not like I was beating down everybody <laughs> that, you know, was, was new to the sport. And so, um, so I went to the games in 2007, 2008, uh, just because we loved it. But there was no monetary prize. It was like 500 bucks for the mm -hmm. winner or whatever. Um, and so the thought of it being a sport was like the last thing, right? So I got into it because... Um, well, I got into it because I loved doing something active and sure. enjoyed that experience, but then ultimately started coaching because I realized like I could help these people a lot mm -hmm. um, and I could help them live better lives, a little bit more fulfilling lives. Um, and so that was always the motivating factor. Um, the sport just happened to kind of pop up later in the process, but our, I had already kind of cemented Right, like our three pillars were education, support, and encouragement. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna give somebody a proper education of like, what do they need to know to progress toward their goal? What kind of support team do they need around them? Right, so it's not always just you and the coach, right? If, yeah. if you've got high level athletes, they probably need, you know, uh, a um, body worker, mm -hmm. you know, they need somebody that's helping with nutrition, right? Yep. It, so it's like making sure that they were supported, they had a circle, they had other athletes to train with that were gonna push them, all of that. And then the encouragement piece, which is like, everybody's gonna plateau, everybody's yeah. gonna hit obstacles that seem like they're gonna be impossible to overcome, right? So it was like, but those three things were put in place for Larry the Legend, for we, one of the first things we did when we started Invictus was we had a weight management clinic, which was for individuals that had more than 50 pounds to lose, mm. right? I mean, I remember the first session I taught, I didn't realize that if we went to the ground, some people couldn't get up without oh, help, yeah. right? And so I'm like helping people up and I'm like, oh Interesting. crap, right? But yeah. so it was like, we installed those principles, then the sport came along and we did really well with athletes in the sport, but we did really well using education, support, sure, <laughs> encouragement, yeah. the exact same principles. It was just a different goal. Is that still your outline now? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's essentially like, our job as coaches is to ask how we can help. What's mm -hmm. your goal? Mm -hmm. How can we help, right? Like our job, and this is, I think, a common uh, misconception about whether it's CrossFit or any other sort of fitness boutique is like, if you go into a gym 
and you're told to do what everybody else is doing without regard, without anybody asking you the question, hey, what's your goal? Mm -hmm. Or like, you know, do you have any injuries or anything like that? There's a problem, right? Yeah, for sure. Because somebody should be helping you in your fitness journey, not just throwing you on a path that says like, oh, you're gonna do this, right? Mm -hmm. What if I have no interest in yeah, doing yeah. that, right? So um, that was one of the, the early learnings for us was like, hey, we need to be goal-based programs and really directing and customizing these paths for each individual that comes into the gym. That's really cool. So then how did all this come together and, and the brand birth? Did, did you birth yeah. the brand Invictus? Yeah, that, uh, <laughs> I mean, so that's a really interesting process, right? For any yeah. founder that's like, how do you come up with your name? Yeah. Right. And I've, I've been, um, now on a side of it where like, oh, you hire these really expensive branding agencies and you go through all these really cool, you know, exercises and then they give you some list of naming options. Like mm -hmm. now let me tell you how I came up. With it. <laughs> tell <laughs> us please. <laughs> First of all, I, I came up with about six names before and every time I would come up with a name, I would basically call all of my friends. Hey, what do you think about this? And, uh, and I would just listen to their reaction. They'd be like, oh yeah, that's cool, man. And I'd be like, nope, not that one. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> right, like, it, it was always the same reaction mm -hmm. to almost any name you would throw out there. And, um, and then one morning I had woken up and I was taking a shower and I remembered the Invictus poem um, which mm. my grandfather had taught me. And I, you know, I was going through some weird times of divorce and stuff. And so I was like, I, that poem came up and I literally like suds on me, turned off the shower, grabbed my towel, went to my computer, logged every domain name, you know, that I could get, mm -hmm. um, bought every domain name and then just called, called people and like, oh yeah, I decided on the gym name. It's called Invictus. <laughs> like, no questions asked. Dude, I'm a firm believer when you know, you know sometimes and you, you yeah. can't disregard your gut IQ. Right. And, uh, and it, that's a really cool story too. And it's funny, we have, we call them brand storms. Yep. And we get like a, a neutral group together, some of our staff, but surveying and, and also realizing you're close to it too. So putting it outside of that network, we've, we've, yeah. we've tried to perfect a process for it, but there is no, like right. you could jump out of the shower and that's where it hits you. And it's funny, we've had it and we'll, we'll we try to do them off site in creative spaces. And it's a really tough, tough process to go through. And especially too, like you're almost a little insecure as well. Cause you're calling oh, totally. friends and you're like, man, it's not a business yet. So I'm kind of filling them out on an idea, you right. know? So of course they're going to say, Oh yeah, CJ, yeah, that yeah. sounds great. Right, or, right. or a good friend might say, Hey man, kick rocks. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But that's, that's really interesting. Um, and I know you had kind of a uh, burn the boats moment too, because you, when you were getting this off the ground or getting your first location, you were still yeah. at the law firm. Yeah. And it was, if I remember it right, it was a point you hit that was like, fuck man, juggling both. Right. I got to either go all in or, or not at all. Yeah, 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 that was right. So I, and one, my law firm was amazing. Like the, mm -hmm. the partners, were beyond accommodating in many aspects. So I had gone to them when I decided to do this in like November 1st of 2008. I went to them, I'm like, hey, I think I'm gonna pursue this. Like, I love it. I'm doing it 40 hours a week outside of the 80 hours I'm spending at the law firm or yep. whatever. Um, I'm like, is there any way I could go to half time? Which is like a 40 hour week at a law firm, right? Yeah. I'm like, could I go to half time if, if needed? And they were like, yeah, if you want to go to half time, like we'll, we'll support you. And That's I was cool. like, cool. And then like, we got the keys on uh, the night, Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. And we spent our entire, you know, we did the demo ourselves. Like I, I didn't have investors or anything. Like we demoed the all, building. All self yeah, yeah. Okay. And so like we were, you know, I, it was me and my, my parents and, and my wife and brother and sister-in-law, like a group of friends just like hammering things down, like clearing out so the construction, yeah. Nice. Cause construction was gonna start the following Monday, right? And so like we had to get everything done. And um, so I, I don't know, so three weeks had passed since I had asked to go to 50% time. And then like, I realized I'm like, if I really wanna make this successful, 
I can't be half in, half out. Mm -hmm. And so I went back and I was like, yeah, so actually <laughs> yeah, yeah. December 31st will be my last day and uh, I'm just gonna go all in on this thing. So I'm gonna ask you the same question that because I had the, the owner of Tipsy Elves, yeah. which is a wildly successful right, business, yeah. been on Shark Tank, all that. He, yeah. he was on the podcast. He was also a lawyer too when he oh, got it cool. off the ground and he was kind of splitting time and, and Tipsy Elves was all it was a lot of digital work right. too, so it wasn't like being in demo mode or right. or at a, on site. But I asked him because he sent the same message. He's like, "Dude, I I can't keep going back and forth. I think we, I think we got enough runway now. He had a partner too, that I could probably take enough to survive." But what I asked him, like, "Do you remember? Do you still today remember that first day of being like, I have no paycheck coming in from the law firm, and I forget. I don't know what type of yeah. law he was practicing, but he was making really good money." Yeah. Um, and he gave his description, so I'll ask you the same thing. Like, do you yeah. remember being like, okay, that's my last paycheck. I'm all in. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's just this like, okay, there's no safety net. I, and mm -hmm. I mean, I already told you, like, I don't come from a family that was gonna, sure. you know, like I knew I, there wasn't really a backstop. It was like, hey, you gotta sink or swim. Mm -hmm. But I have to say at that time in my life, I. I love that. Like, yeah, there was yeah. a part of me that was like, cool, let's do it. Like, it's time to get dirty and like totally. tighten up and, uh, and figure out how to get this thing done. And, um, mm -hmm. that was, I thought that was really cool. Um, yeah, but I, I definitely remember when that last paycheck hit the account, I'm like, wow, that's a big number. Mm -hmm. Like probably not seeing that ever again. <laughs> yeah, man. It is a surreal moment. <laughs> yeah. So I guess now speed up to where, where's Invictus at today? Yeah, so we're 12 years deep, nice. um, you know, multiple locations, now locations, uh, licensed locations in Boston and Seattle. Nice. Um, and, you know, things are awesome. You know, yeah. things are awesome. And, uh, and awesome because we have the ability to change literally thousands of people's lives in our various gyms. Mm -hmm. And we've also built an amazing online platform and we do a ton of online training. In fact, we do more than half of our revenue online now. Really? Um, and so it's like, we look and we say, how many lives are we affecting positively? Um, what's the impact, the depth of that, um, mm -hmm. you know, of that engagement and it's really strong, right? Like mm -hmm. you were saying at, at a gym like ours, Right? We're not just, it's not superficial relationship. Like we know people, we know what they do. We know if they're trying to have kids, we know if they're about Definitely. to propose, you know, all of those things. And so when we look back over the last 12 years and you see just this massive, like uh, really cool, fulfilling moments, mm. um, I think that's, uh, you know, that's invaluable, right? Like a lot of people open, businesses thinking, oh, I need to make certain profit goals. And we never think about like what that impact is going to be and how it's going to change our lives. Most definitely. So we don't like to talk too much about COVID on here, yeah. but it's, it's hit a point now, almost eight months in that it's way more relevant and sure. uh, way more part of our lives than we thought. But I always like to at least um, pick apart for any business owner that comes on and fitness industry was definitely hit, hit yeah. by it and very vulnerable is how is this uh, year, both positively, negatively, how, how's it shaped your, yeah. your business? Yeah, I mean, I, I like, and I know that people have been hurting out there. And so I, I am careful to say this, but 2020 has been great. Like mm. 2020 has been an awesome year for us. Mm -hmm. um, and it's because we dedicated ourselves to making it an awesome year. And, um, mm -hmm. but you know, we also had the good fortune, right? Uh, in December of 2019, we set our annual initiative for 2020. And I said, look, the annual initiative is going to be creating deeper relationships, strengthening the depth of the relationship with our members, not trying to increase the breadth of members. Right. Yeah. And that was just we just said, like, hey, you know, we've been in this crazy growth mode since 2009. And how can we make this even stronger relationships with our with our members? And so that's how we started the year. And we put a bunch of things in place. Like so at our gyms, everybody that joins the gym is assigned a coach. Right. So you have really cool. a coach that is always looking and we call them tribes. Right. And so the yeah, coaches yeah. have their tribes and those coaches are in weekly contact with everybody in their tribe. Um, so it's not just, hey, we'll see if you come into the gym. It's like we're always connecting with yeah, those members. Yeah. And so that was part of our 2020 initiative 
that kicked off January 1. Mm-hmm. And it was like, boom, COVID hit. And it was like, cool. Now we get to walk the talk. Yeah, because yeah. we said we were going to deepen, yeah. you know, strengthen these relationships. Well, now you need to be there for people more than ever, right? The format changes. Now we're sending them at-home workouts and we're encouraging them mm-hmm. to participate in these online events. And um, But at the end of the day, our coach's role doesn't change. Yeah. You're still holding people accountable. You're still educating them, giving them support and encouraging them to keep moving. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, in, in many ways, it was just a really cool opportunity to like figure out, like we talk about the Invictus mindset, mm-hmm. a mindset of resilience, figuring out like, hey, we know in life obstacles are gonna pop up all the time. Like, you're not gonna control that. What you're gonna control is your response to them. But how often do you get to test that, right? Mm-hmm. And the, in our gym setting has always been the whole reason I started a gym, like you look at me, I'm not a big bodybuilder or anything. It wasn't like we were gonna help people develop big biceps. We were actually gonna help them develop resilience by doing really hard workouts pretty frequently. Yeah, yeah. And forcing people to like just be okay with that discomfort, right? Totally. Um, and so we kind of felt like COVID was that for our business. We were like, cool, this is gonna be really uncomfortable and we're gonna have to shift a lot of things but it doesn't change our mission. It doesn't change our core values. So let's keep pushing and we'll figure out how we get through it. I love that. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, how do, you, how do you measure? It's easy to measure. If you were to set the goal in 2019, a financial goal, it's easy to measure. You check yep. your financials. You know, you have quarterly updates, sure. talk with your team. What are some ways that you measure your relationship? You know, you, you set an initiative on building that or deepening the relationships with uh, members. I'm sure it was also with your coaches mm-hmm. and, the, and the core culture. Do you have certain metrics that you use to measure your relationship building? Yeah, I think um, within the team it's tough, but we have we still have a small enough team where, like, the feel mm-hmm. of morale is so palpable, right? Mm-hmm. And we have like over the course of twelve years and different growth phases and stuff, there have been times where our culture has not been as strong. And we really made an effort in 2019, that was the 2019 initiative, was like just rebuild our internal staff culture, mm. right? And then so so it, that one's a little tougher to track. I would say that in terms of strengthening like depth of relationship with our members, retention stats are probably the number one. Mm. When we're lo- if we're looking for a quantitative like measurement sure. of like, hey, are we doing a good job of engaging? Normally, like if our coaches are in constant contact, we know a month or two months in advance if somebody's moving, struggling to mm-hmm. pay bills, whatever, and we can help them. We could figure out a way through it, or we just at least know like oh, we're going to lose that member, mm-hmm. right? Um, but if if we don't have strong bonds with people, you're seeing like people in and out of the gym all the time, and so Definitely. that's been uh, that's been probably our, our most successful quantitative measurement of that. Have you had a challenge? Because when you started location number one, I'm sure the brand was heavily built around you. Uh, And when you're talking about coaching, managing people, you know, it's a very personal relationship. To scale that, I always ask people who were very hands-on and they have this personal relationship in their brand from day one. When you scale, you kind of have to take a few steps back Mm -hmm. from potentially people who bought into that brand because they bought into CJ, not necessarily Invictus. How has the scaling process been to not, because you can only go so far and you also don't want to be the 67-year-old lawyer who's going to his emails. <laughs> right. So when you're starting to get into multiple locations and you see yep. your licensee over there, have, how is the process of scaling Invictus's brand while also you know, making sure mm-hmm. CJ doesn't, doesn't get uh, yeah. overused and abused? For How's sure. that process been? Yeah, steep learning curve, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And all I would say is that we were... We've always been blessed from day one. We've had an awesome team, right? And I've really been bought into the fact like you want to surround yourself with smarter people. And we certainly have done that from the very beginning. Mm. And so I would say the strength of the team has helped, but I'd be lying if I said we didn't just like take a beating over that because I'm not a systems guy. I wasn't like creating this business and mapping out like, okay, this is your perfect job description and here's your corporate hierarchy and mm-hmm. you're going to report to this person, this person. And so most of all of our management style was just relational, right? Mm-hmm. Like we didn't have sit down reviews for the first 
seven years or something like that, right? Yeah, it was yeah. just like, hey, if I saw something, I'm just gonna grab you and be like, hey man, let's go talk about this, yeah. right? And like, we weren't, so there were no systems in place. And so I would definitely say that at a certain point of growth, at one point we had 43 employees having zero systems and then me trying to run around, like I was creating more problems for the business than I was fixing. Totally. Because everybody thought, well, if you need an answer, go to CJ. Well, then I became the bottleneck. And mm -hmm. then there was, you know, people that were frustrated that maybe they felt like they didn't have as much access. And so mm -hmm. that's definitely been uh, something that we've, we've had to kind of assess and figure out, hey, how do we do this? And, and if I'm being honest, there are times now that I feel like, I'm almost, uh, I'm intentionally out of the loop. Um, and that's probably harder for me than it is for my employees. Cause I'm yeah. like, I think I could help here, but if I yeah, do, I I'm, I'm probably gonna like <laughs> overstep my bounds and then it's yeah. gonna impact somebody else's ability to make a decision further down the line. That's, that's kind of a rewarding point to be at too. You know, it means yeah. all the pieces you put in play and yeah. play it out. Um, and and with, with your role now kind of being shaped there, I'm curious, what's your, your day to day a, what's your day to day look like now versus back in 2008? And yeah. is there something right now uh, forward that's got you the most fired up that you're chasing after? Yeah, no, those are great questions. My day to day, so my day to day in 2008, we had also secured uh, contracts to coach uh, PE at a, a charter school. Interesting. And so I, you know, without being too graphic, I, I distinctly remember days where I realized at 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. when we were shutting down the gym that I had not used the restroom since like 8 a.m. <laughs> because I was constantly in front of people. And I remember like my wife would like, there were constant times that I would like be sprinting into the house like, left my car running in the driveway to like That's get to funny. the bathroom. And so like um, those days were, you know, I was up at five, I was coaching and I would often be in front of people without a break until eight at night, you know? Um, wow. But those were, as hard as those were, you look back and you're like, man, that was so much fun, mm -hmm. you know? Now I can go to the re restroom whenever I'd like, but I yeah, have a yeah. mountain of, uh, you know, emails and, and stuff. And, and, For sure. and then really just trying to figure out kind of, okay, what's the strategic direction? The thing right now though on strategic that I'm really pumped about is um, we're, now we're starting to educate. Right. Cool. So now instead of just running our operations and figuring all that out, um, we've got a couple of really great staff members that are helping put together Invictus University. And it's kind of like this curriculum of both um, substantive coaching, like, hey, this is how we coach things. Mm -hmm. This is what to look for, but also culture. Um, because I would say our success at Invictus is in creating a culture that breeds success for all of our members, right? Sure. It doesn't matter. We have restaurateurs, we have lawyers, we have all sorts of people that are wildly successful out of the gym. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they tend to congregate in this place, right? Yeah, and yeah. So, um, so our Invictus University, every kind of module has both a cultural and a coaching, substantive coaching piece. Um, and we rolled that out with our Seattle gym opening um, to really help their coaches. And now we're like, hey, this is really cool and probably yeah. cool for a lot of fitness professionals. Um, so that'll probably be a 21 launch and, uh, cool. and excited about that. Though. That's really cool. Now, so outside of your professional life, which, yep. I mean, you got a, a lot going on, your personal life, yeah. and, and I hate using the word balance because I feel like it's almost non-existent, right. but for your personal life, is there certain things that you do that you've learned in the last 12 years that really keep the, the ship sailing yeah. that are like, you know, I've had people on here who one has to go surfing X amount of times right. a week. One, I've had a boxer on here has to go boxing. There's certain things like you have a family, yeah. you know, is there certain non-negotiables you have? personal outside yeah. of all of Invictus yeah. going on that, uh, that keeps you straight. Oh man. I wish I could tell you like back in the day. So like the answer for a gym owner should be your own fitness. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm just going to tell you that was never mine. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was, um, like I was so maxed out in the business and I was lucky to have a you know, girlfriend at the time, you know, partner now that um, was totally supportive and realized like he's gonna he's gonna work sixteen hours mm -hmm. almost every day, and she was okay with that. Um, but 
it, for me, it was just the, when we had kids is mm -hmm. like, there was nothing that was gonna, I had an amazing family and my parents were incredible. And I was like, I will not screw this up for my kids. Mm -hmm. um, and so the non-negotiable since having kids more than seven years ago has been like, I get home to make sure I'm there for dinner, bath time, stories, right? Mm -hmm. um, I make time to take them to school in the morning, um, you know, at least two, three days a week or whatever. Um, and so that's my non-negotiable. And so sadly, sometimes my fitness has taken a background to like, uh, I can't both spend the time with my family, run yep. the business and get my workout in. Um, but to this day, like I'm not like, the, my kids experience growing up has to be my my highest priority and then in order to make my kids experience good my relationship with my wife has to also be For fantastic sure. because uh that tends to not work well if husband and wife don't get along yeah. and they're trying to raise kids together. yeah no definitely i want to ask you a question that yeah. i asked for the first time on our last podcast and i got a lot of good feedback on it that i never asked before because i think a lot of entrepreneurs get labeled like fearless which in a lot of ways they are that's why they're in the role they are and you have plenty of years and I'm sure you fought a lot of battles but I asked a question because this person just brought it out and I'm like man you just seem so fearless is there certain things that you fear is there something that you fear oh man I mean I was a lawyer they're like they're mm -hmm. risk adverse yeah I don't know if I like oh you learn real quick in boxing and martial arts like the thing you fear is the thing you don't see coming Mm -hmm. Right. And so I can't tell you that there's something that I fear. I can tell you that we've been hit with crazy times and mm -hmm. there have been points in our business that we thought we would have to declare bankruptcy and be done mm -hmm. and I'd have to go find a job as a lawyer or something somewhere. Um, but I can't tell you that I was ever afraid of those times going in. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then in some ways, like once it hits you, Right, just like in boxing, it's like, oh, that rocked me. Yeah. But I'm gonna figure out how we just keep moving, yeah. right? And like, um, and there were times where you know, one of them, like very quickly, was like, we got a 10 day uh, cease and desist from the city that said like, oh, your whole block is shutting down uh, because of permitting issues that you know pre-existed us by 30 plus years. Well, I can't shut down a business in 10 days and mm -hmm. still pay my bills. And so like, then it was like, oh, cool. So that happened. And now how do we survive just to make it to get, stay on our feet? And it meant, yeah. you know, driving down to the city attorney's office and waiting until I could get a meeting and sitting down and figuring out how we were going to get through it. And, and ultimately we did, but it's like, um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I'm not sure I answered the question. I don't fear anything that I can project Mm -hmm. as coming I fear the thing that's going to blow up that nobody saw coming and I can only hope that we are well enough prepared with the strength of our team um, to just get through it and like COVID has been incredible for that like my you know nobody saw that coming I don't think yeah right? yeah you're right and, the, and it rocked the fitness industry and yet my overwhelming emotion throughout has been gratitude because I look around, I'm like, wow, my team is way stronger than I thought. Mm -hmm. They're way more competent. They've done things to help our community that I never would have thought of. Mm -hmm. um, and our community has been great. And so, um, so yeah, I'm not sure that I'm afraid. I'm just, I'm constantly uh, feel like we need to prepare better in case something comes up. No, yeah, I think that's a great answer. And, and it's really cool hearing how it comes into relevant fruition with this year and yeah. you know kind of not only you but then seeing it in people who are like extensions of you your staff and and seeing their true colors so i think that that's a that's a really cool answer because i think a lot of people prepare for the the fear and it just never happens right. and in the pre preparation they fail you know right. or it might well it might not ever happen so i think that that's a i think yeah and that's for me like living from that place of fear and making decisions from that place of fear is probably worse than anything right mm -hmm. like i just i don't i don't ever want to run our business that way i don't want to raise my kids that way i don't want to mm -hmm. like live my life thinking about what's the worst thing that could happen mm -hmm. i want to go forward doing the right things the things that we think are going to be you know good judgment calls and, and really fulfilling for ourselves and the people that we serve and when 
something pops up, like just trust that we're going to have the strength and resilience to, yeah, to most bear definitely. It. No, that's great. So I will ask the same way I, I always land the plane for this, this podcast is, you know, just now wrapping up your entire story and hearing a, a lot of the trials, tribulations you went through building to the brand you have now is I always ask someone to, to give their shrunken down advice to someone out there who might be signing their first lease or they might yeah. be looking to leave their job or they're the 12 years ago you yeah. is what would you say if you could package it all together would yeah. be your best piece of advice to that person out there? Um, is number one, enjoy the process. Mm. And number two, um, focus on the thing that matters. Mm. For me, the thing that mattered was helping people, right? And initially that meant it was helping the members because I was coaching almost every session. Mm -hmm. um, and then it became helping my staff, right? But, um, you know, I've, I've read business books and it's like, oh, put your systems in place and journal everything. I'm like, man, we never would have got here if yeah. I was approaching this from the standpoint of the business. Like, enjoy the process because you're doing what you love and then just follow your passion, do the right thing, figure out all the business crap later. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, a, that's funny because I've asked someone this before. Do you believe in a business plan? Do you believe in writing no, a business plan? I never wrote one. Yeah. I never wrote one and, and partly like, Remember, I was a securities fraud litigator. Mm. I'm like, you want me to write a prospectus? Mm. Like, I spend my <laughs> entire day analyzing prospectus saying, well, that seemed misleading. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. So I'm like, you're writing down your guess. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that nobody should have a business plan, but I never did it because for me, I was like, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I think one of the banks that like I was applying just for a bank account, they were like, you have a business plan. I'm like, sure. I threw something together. I'm like, we hope to have 50 members in our first year. Our first year we had over 230 members or something. Mm. I'm like, well, I guess we exceeded expectations. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't necessarily snub it. I just think it's, it's an outdated practice and it's yeah. not like, it's not a requirement because yeah. to your point, uh, you never know. Like, what if someone wrote their business plan in December and then March happened with COVID? And all? You, you, you don't know. Like, I yeah. think the, the better practice is figuring out what you just said. Right. It's like, why are you getting into it? Right. You know, right. and what do you want out of it? Yeah. Because those are and really big. Like, I can, I mean, I can share one funny story like that cast me in a terrible light as a business owner. But, um, Perfect. Like, you know, <laughs> like, like uh, you know, my business plan, like, I, I had no idea that Invictus would ever have a following outside of, San Diego, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and now we do a couple million dollars a year in online coaching and people that will never step foot in our gym, right? But the first time that I, I realized this, 2012, I mean, we had been open three years. I get this amazing letter. I still, I always shout him out. Peter Vachon, he's in, um, he's in Missouri. He's a real estate agent in Missouri. He sends me this great letter, right? Snail mail, right? Like, hey man, I just wanna <laughs> let you know, I've got three kids and um, I've been following your program for two years. I'm in the best shape of my life. He's like sent me some like PRs, you know, things that he had accomplished. And um, he's like, I went on your website to like buy a t-shirt or support you guys somehow. And you didn't have anything. Uh, so here's a check for 50 bucks. Right? Oh, no and, uh, and so like, I, I always <laughs> kept that. I never cashed it, kept it. Like I've kept in touch with Peter. He's an amazing dude. Um, and, uh, but of course then I'm like, uh, uh, you should probably sell merchandise, dumbass. Like, <laughs> so, so I was like, but we didn't have, our website was a blog, right? Mm -hmm. Like we had a blog that had zero e-commerce. Mm -hmm. Well, then we put it, so then we were like, hey, put some shirts on there. Let's start actually using the website um, to sell things, right? And then we do three quarters of a million dollars in apparel sales. Right? And I'm like, oh yeah, so that worked. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it was nothing I ever- It was worth way more than 50 bucks. Yeah, it was nothing I ever like, had a business plan. Like we should, we should monetize our apparel. For sure, that's <laughs> such a cool story to hear too because I feel like we're living in like the, the Yelp world where it's more, let me tell you what you did wrong and let me tell right. you what you're doing wrong. That, that seems to get the, more the reinforcement now. Yep. And it's really funny because in the, in the last week, uh, this has really grown. This podcast has grown. Um, and it's not a check in the mail, but I, I love more than anything. And I just caught up with uh, a girl I haven't seen in years. She has two kids still, and she's been married almost 10 years. 
But she said something like, oh my God, Austin, that means so much to me. She's like, and I know her husband really well. She's like, yeah. you have no idea how much you're part of our dinner talk. And I haven't talked to them in, in, in years, yeah. like at all. This was our first time catching up. She's like, he talks about your podcast almost every week. And I'm like, ne never reached out. But I'm like, that yeah. means so much to me. Yeah. And it's just those little nudges, you know, yeah. like I'm sure that at, at the time you're three years in, like no yeah. one sees, but those little nudges are so big. So oh important. man, it's huge. And you know, I, and I've told this story before and then I always remind myself, I'm like, man, I gotta be better about that, right? Because if we all reached out and told people, hey, you had an impact on my life, like that would be really cool, Definitely. right? Like the, like the world would legitimately be a better place if we took a chance like once a week to be like, oh, this has been cool. I'm gonna tell somebody I have enjoyed this. Definitely, yeah. and, and, and I brought that into work life too because I realized, shoot, I am really good at when an employee does something wrong, <laughs> pointing it out. You know, it's just in our nature. But man, even if it's not a huge victory they had right. on a positive side, you got to give those little celebrations. And, oh, man, and yeah. that goes such a long way versus like, hey, even the little like, eh, you should have sent that email sooner. Or you yeah. said, I'm like, I'm really good at catching those. And I try to look at it as more coaching. Like, hey, yeah. here's, here's how, let me just kind of guide you. And I don't believe in micromanaging, but I'm like, Pete, same time, you can come over, look over their shoulder and say, hey, great job oh, on man. those yeah. little simple things. Did, that's uh yeah i'm terrible at that yeah man. and uh and so have you ever read the five love languages oh yeah yeah right like you you have to read yeah. it it's kind of like and i would even say like of course anybody in a relationship should read it but also business owners should probably read it mm -hmm. because so number five for me words of affirmation mm -hmm. like i almost get insulted if somebody comes up and like you're doing a really good job mm -hmm. i kind of like look at them like the F do you think I'm supposed to be doing? <laughs> like, it, it like bothers me. Yeah. And so, but my wife, that's like number one for her. And I'm like, oh no, yeah. like I have to start thinking about this yeah, stuff, yeah. right? And, uh, and I'm terrible with my employees. And like, it's, luckily I've had some great employees that are like, hey dude, you're pretty bad at telling people they did a good job. I'm like, right, gotta get better at yeah. that. Like, yeah, you know? yeah. And, uh, but it is so true. Like I, uh, it's so I, funny you said that book. It's yeah. probably one of the top three books I recommend over anything else. And it was, mm -hmm. a guy came on this almost a year ago and, and recommended it to me as a business owner. Yeah. And he's also married right. too. And I was reading as a single guy, but also as a business owner. Yeah. And so much of it, a, I, I look back on my relationships like, oh shit, yeah. <laughs> this makes sense. You know, like I'm talking to you in a language that you just don't speak, so you're not interpreting it, and right. vice versa. You're doing the same. We both loved each other, but holy shit, now you take it to the, the employee, yeah. like that relationship, same thing. It 100% yeah. applies and you gotta learn what language do you speak versus what do you speak? Yeah. It's critical, it's critical, yeah. man. And I also think, right, founders tend to not speak the same languages as some of their employees, mm -hmm. right? Like there, there's a reason that founders did something because like, I didn't care what people said to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I didn't care if I was getting validated. Cause if I was waiting for validation, I never would have started a gym in 2008 when the economy was rock, you know, totally. bottoming out and I had a great job as a lawyer, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I, it's I have also, to remind myself. That. I think it's also realizing too, which it took me a while in business to realize what I step in these doors, my intention and purpose, is totally different than yours and yours and yours. Mm -hmm. And I didn't appreciate that, you know, yeah. I, or I didn't understand that and empathize because I just thought you should be stepping in the doors for the same reason as me. Well, like, no, Pete, that's never going to happen. Right. So once I understood that, it was, a, it was a better understanding like, oh, well, she wants to take home the check because she's having a baby and they're getting married. Right. Totally different set of, of purposes yeah. are floating around this room. No, yeah. it's my job to manage those, you know? Yeah. Oh, and I, I remember, yeah, I mean, I had an employee and I was like, oh, I got this sweet thing. It was going to be like commission percentage of like, and she was like, I, I, I just want to know what I'm going to get every two weeks. And I'm like, right. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, but think about the upside. You know, like, no, no, I just, yeah, I want to know that my check is going to stay consistent. I'm like, okay, cool. We can do that too. Like, yeah, no yeah. Problem, you know? Totally fine. That's really funny. Well, hey man, this has been great. Yeah. Again, I know you. how busy you are. Um, I'm going to check. I, I have to do, I, I can't believe still to this day I haven't done a CrossFit workout, which is crazy. 
um, and I live blocks from your place, so right. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna punch the card and go in there. Yeah. Man. Um, but this was awesome. Great, uh, had a great time. Thanks again for for carving out the time for us. Yeah, thank you. It was great. Awesome, man.